Are you looking to give your immune system a boost? This is Dr. Ronald Hoppen with a natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals, liquid wild oil of oregano with rosemary extract and natural honey flavor. Future Farm's wild oil of oregano supports a variety of health benefits, including antimicrobial effects, as well as supporting the immune system. Plus, Future Farm is the first ever to formulate wild oil of oregano with rosemary. Rosemary aids circulation, helps alleviate muscle pain, improves memory, and also gives your immune system a boost. The natural honey flavor enhances the taste while still giving you all of the benefits. Future Farm sources this product from the Mediterranean and produces it in the United States. For more information and to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Wild oil of oregano is all natural, science-based, and works without adverse side effects. MyFutureFarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Today, a discussion about uh, irritable bowel syndrome with the author of The Digestive Health Solution. He's Dr. Benjamin Brown. He's an Australian naturopathic physician who now resides in the UK contributing editor to Integrative Healthcare and Applied Nutrition. Uh, and uh, recently, uh, Benjamin, you, you wrote an article about fibromyalgia, uh, which is has a link to irritable bowel syndrome because the criteria for fibromyalgia, of course, tender trigger points, uh, achy body, fatigue, depression, but also a high prevalence of IBS. Uh, is there a connection? And could strategies that alleviate IBS... Uh, impact fibromyalgia? Yeah, it's it's such a great question. Um, you know, one of the shortfalls of medicine in general is we compartmentalize things and, and often the, you know, possibility that there's a link between one area of the body and another or one set of symptoms and another is not is not made. But, you know, as you know, the, you know, the body's a network of systems that are constantly interacting and, and everything, you know, is connected. And it seems reasonable then with that in mind that there would be some physiological connections between something like IBS and fibromyalgia. And in fact, when you look at the statistical prevalence of the two, they cluster together uh, frequently. There's a very high prevalence of these things overlapping. And so it's not by chance. And it seems that there are some shared mechanisms and pathways. And the most obvious one is is this heightened sensitivity to pain. You know, this is the characteristic symptom mm-hmm. of fibromyalgia is diffuse pain throughout the body. And what is irritable bowel syndrome? Well, that's also heightened sensitivity in the gut and the experience of pain. So physiologically... Like a, a, a visceral hypersensitive, like more people with IBS seem to be more attuned to what's happening uh, in their in their stomachs. You know, like right. right now, you know, you ask me, like, how's your stomach? I go, fine. You know, I'm not really attuned to it. And I'm not, but, you know, the rumbling, the grumbling, the parasol, it's almost like they feel every little, uh, you know, uh, contraction, uh, or peristalsis of their, um, GI tract. Exactly. And, and visceral hypersensitivity is exactly what it is. It's this scientific term for heightened pain sensitivity and poor feedback and ability to shut that response down. Mm-hmm. So people are in this heightened state of physiological sensitivity to pain. And um, there have been suggestions for many years that there are connections between the gut and the experience of fibromyalgia. And as our understanding of the microbiome is is becoming more sophisticated, we're starting to see those links between 
certain gut microbes and the experience of fibromyalgia. So there really is a an important overlap right. there. But with that or background, as uh, mind, Dr. Alessio Fasano uh, once so uh, eloquently said, uh, what happens in the gut doesn't stay in the gut. Yeah, exactly. Paraphrasing uh, the Las Vegas uh, promotion. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, that there's uh, systemic manifestations of uh, GI imbalance, uh, leaky yeah. gut or the vagus nerve, you know, all these things, you know, there's a gut-brain highway. There certainly is. And, you know, so that's what's happening. So the, getting back to your fundamental question is would treatment or dietary therapies overlap and benefit both? They certainly do. And a, and a classic example of that is is actually the low FODMAP diet. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't aware of this until conducting this um, review for this article recently. But there are there is a clinical trial of the low FODMAP diet, which was developed to alleviate IBS in patients with fibromyalgia. And guess what happened? Well, their IBS symptoms reduced. You would expect that. But curiously, their diffuse musculoskeletal pain throughout their body was also significantly mm. reduced wow. as well. So that's there's an example right there of... of um, you know, diet hitting different targets and systems across the body with, with a single intervention. It's pretty amazing. You know, we say that uh, the, the IBS is not a psychological condition, but certainly uh, there's some studies that suggest that things like hypnosis or cognitive behavioral therapy uh, can uh, be helpful. So we don't want to completely uh, preclude uh, a psychological approach or a stress reduction approach yeah. uh, in dealing with IBS patients. So Talk to us about that. Yeah, that's a that's a very powerful point, actually. And you know, the the discussion earlier we had about it not being all in your head is is not entirely true, and that the brain and the nervous system are intimately involved in gastrointestinal function. And it's clear that uh, gut dysfunction can precede, meaning it almost predicts the development of things like depression and anxiety. And we see this in the you know in in the IVS research and. What that means then is that the gut, brain, and nervous system are interlinked and involved in this whole process. So the way I think about it is, you know, when you've down the track of you've developed IBS and you're experiencing anxiety and depression and stress alongside your gastrointestinal symptoms, you have an opportunity there, in fact, to use mind-body therapies to help calm down the gut. You know, so it's a it's another therapeutic avenue or, or approach and you know, as you put it, it's not suggesting that it's all in your head. It's just another mm-hmm. component of your body that's involved that we can address that will really help. And things like mind-body therapies, relaxation techniques, and um, other interventions can be really powerful for some people. Well, we, we've uh, given a nod to CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, while we're playing alphabet soup here. What about CBD, mm-hmm. co- uh cannabidiol because uh, for some patients uh, they report uh, relief uh, with uh, hemp derived cannabinoids uh, or even you know with a little THC added because uh, stateside we're seeing more and more states that are legalizing uh, medical marijuana and for Mm -hmm. gastrointestinal conditions there may be some applicability yeah it's a it's such a fascinating area that's um in its infancy to a degree, but evolving very quickly. And it is quite clear that these high CBD extracts of hemp uh, do have um, anti-stress, anti-anxiety, mood-enhancing, as well as pain-relieving type effects. Perhaps also a little anti-inflammatory effect, too, because of all the components, the the, uh, entourage components of of cannabidiol. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely Terpenes right. Terpenes and so on. Yeah, the effects throughout physiology are just remarkable. So it's, you know, it's likely working on multiple systems. And, you know, I certainly feel like it's worth trialing, um, you know, if the if the picture fits and, and you think you might respond to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what about uh, some herbal therapies? I mean, your background is in naturopathic medicine. I mean, there's a, there's a really uh, long uh, and rich tradition in naturopathic medicine uh, using uh, herbals. Uh, you know, this whole category of uh, medications used to uh, soothe the stomach, carminatives and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's very true. And I mean, it, it. you know, when you look at the history of herbal medicine, it looks like people have been self-medicating for digestive problems since the beginning of time. And there are, there are a lot of herbs across different cultures that have been used traditionally, but there are also quite a few that have been really well scientifically studied now for IBS and Probably the best example is is just peppermint oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was thinking of that. Yeah, yeah. So enteric coated or delayed release uh, peppermint oils undergone loads of clinical trials. From my last count, it was over twenty. I think and it's a drug in in England, right? Colpermin is still the name of the the medicinal that's used in England. It is, in fact. Yeah, it's well you know well spotted. It's sold as a as a medicine for mm-hmm. IBS and yeah. it has approved health claims. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's great. You know, it's a, it's a non-drug therapy. It works very well. It's um, in part because it's antispasmodic and possibly in part because it's um, changing the gut microbiome a bit It's a as well. little it's, bit antimicrobial. It suppresses the right. growth of bacteria. So, yeah, dual yeah. action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, other things that have worked very well for acute symptom relief are peppermint, um, but, but also... Uh, fennel oil and and other antispasmodic carminative type herbs that are really designed to do exactly that is just calm down that that spasm and discomfort and pain one that i find really interesting i i don't know if you've seen this but in the last couple of years there's been a bit of work done on uh, boswellia serrata mm-hmm. uh, for irritable bowel syndrome and that seems to be really effective it's uh, working as well as um antispasmodic type drugs for pain Hmm. relief and symptom relief and there was recently a 12-month follow-up study on on this uh, herb and they found that it was able to keep IBS uh, in remission in in the people that were responding well initially as well so it's really interesting substance and the and the way Boswellia is working of course is well partly herbs have multitudes of actions but it's a strong Mm anti-inflammatory so it could be well suited to people that have that how, how about uh, berberine for uh, diarrhea-predominant pre- uh, IBS? Is any utility there? Yeah, absolutely. There's a great clinical trial on that and um, certainly works very well. It, and it has, of course, been shown to treat diarrhea in other settings. So, you know, diarrhea-predominant IBS is really problematic for people and, and any therapy that, um, you know, is effective is certainly worth knowing about. Berberine is one and, and glutamine, interestingly, is, is hmm. another could be trialed right glutamine with some spotty i mean it's sort of controversial whether it's helpful in ulcerative colitis but it you know it's uh theoretically it could be a benefit because it is a it's literally a food for the enterocytes the cells that line our intestinal lining and may have a reparative effect on leaky gut or damaged intestinal uh, mucosa 
Absolutely. And you're, you're right. The work in uh, inflammatory bowel disease is, is quite mixed, but there was a, a small, you know, singular study done in a group of patients with IBS relatively recently on glutamine. And this all came about because the scientists originally uh, were looking um, at the cell cellular sort of function of the gut in, in IBS patients and found that those patients who'd previously had an infection while traveling, like post oh, yeah and mm-hmm. develop post-infectious IBS, they had a defect in glutamine metabolism yes, in their, I, in their right. gut. Yes, right. I saw that. So they thought, yeah, so they thought, well, let's give them glutamine. And, mm-hmm. and it worked, you know, really well for them. So it's um, certainly worth trialing, and I think something that fits that picture of, you know, I've never been right since, and I've got diarrhea-predominant symptoms since I was traveling, it, mm-hmm. you know, it could be quite useful. This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I've found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences. And now I'm excited about a new natural wellness line from Plus CBD, CBD Calm and CBD Sleep. CBD Calm helps ease tension, soothe irritability, and contributes to a greater sense of contentment through a blend of Plus CBD's award-winning full-spectrum CBD, plus L-theanine and 5-HTP. CBD Sleep aids occasional sleeplessness with CBD Plus melatonin as well as soothing magnolia bark extract and relaxing lemon balm so you can get the rest you need and wake up alert and focused. Both products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman. There's also uh, you know, perhaps a, a subtype of uh, IBS that may be related to uh, pancreatic uh, insufficiency, inability to produce uh, exocrine pancre- pancreatic enzymes. Uh, is that How do you spot that? How do you, it's a matter of trial and error, give people digestive enzymes, uh, uh, amylase, uh, and proteases, uh, and, you know, just to, or lipases and see if they, they're better. Yeah. It's, um, I, you know, digestive enzymes are really interesting therapy and it's, um, there are different ways you can personalize them, but, but getting back to your point is that certainly there is a subgroup of people with IBS like symptoms who have poor output of enzymes and that they're, they're just not making enough and um, there are a few uh, research groups that have looked at this and they've generally found it's about five to seven percent of, of IBS patients so it's not it doesn't sound huge but when you you know there's a lot of people and what happens is is when you identify this using a test called uh, a fecal elastase one test mm-hmm. which you're you know you're, you're very familiar with and that doctors can organize. Um, what, um, you then do is personalize enzyme therapy to people who are a bit low and, and that can be a really effective way to identify it, manage it and, and result in really good, uh, clinical improvements. But of course, enzymes work in other ways as well. As you know, they help you break down food. They help, um, and as a consequence could potentially help with food intolerances as well. So, breaking things down like fibers even and lactose mm-hmm. and foods so they're less allergenic, so to speak, as well. And, you know, it's, it's hard to know who's going to benefit, but certainly it's um, a pretty cheap clinical trial if you just try digestive enzymes if the 
you know, symptoms tend to indicate it might be beneficial for you. Um, it's um, a simple way to, to test. Um, but, a, you know, I think a caveat to that is there's a lot of variation in the quality of products on the market. So speaking to a someone who knows what they're talking about to get a, you know, a, a good product is, is a good idea in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has to be of the right uh, potency. But, uh, you know, different strokes for different folks. Some people actually sure. experience... Uh, discomfort with those because uh, in addition to breaking down food, uh, they also act as signaling molecules that sometimes trigger uh, peristalsis or diarrhea, you know, so mm. gotta be careful. Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, are we missing any uh, major modalities here in terms of our uh, armamentarium of approaches for IBS? Um. You know, there's we've covered a lot of ground actually, and I think um, hit a lot of the key key areas. I mean, you know, beyond um, gluten, I guess um, there are other um, potential food sensitivities. Um, one that's you know broadly sort of interesting is this um, immunologically mediated hypersensitivities, and you know, and I think we spoke a bit this um, previously a bit but are looking out for foods that aren't really obvious that may be um, identified on an elimination rechallenge or using something like a, um, a food sensitivity test could be useful for some patients mm-hmm. it seems and how accurate are those tests because I, I gotta say first of all uh, yeah. regulatory in in the US is really cracking down on some of the tests that we used to have available to us but uh, right. I'm actually not too dismayed because those tests they, they're not deadly accurate you know the igg rast or you know some of the tests that are uh you know cytotoxic testing very you know yeah it's sometimes uh, a little bit like uh throwing darts at a dartboard you might just try an elimination diet without extensive expensive testing i'm with you i think an elimination rechallenge diet's the way to go and um to answer that question it's a minefield out there in terms of the quality of the tests and their validation mm-hmm. um probably the best validated is the basic igg test and the accuracy of that is not great <laughs> basically yeah, yeah. so um, uh but it, it, others, it you know yeah. it sometimes gives you something to hand to a patient and say well look here you know this says you're sensitive to this this and this if you need the documentation if that's the way your patient works if they're very uh wonky okay here's the test the test says eliminate you know probably going to hit on the major foods that the person eats all the time wheat dairy yeah. you know corn <laughs> you know nuts yeah etc and uh, oh exactly. hey you know that test really nailed it well you know it actually uh <laughs> describes the foods that you basically subsist on because your immune system recognizes them and they show up in your uh you know as antibodies yeah absolutely yeah i mean that's exactly what's happening and you're you're totally right like when you look at um, these food sensitivity tests they're flagging up the same things time and time again so a basic elimination rechallenge diet will tend to weed those things out anyway mm-hmm. oh, okay i know one paradigm that we kind of sidestep that i want to talk about and it's uh it's a very interesting uh relatively new paradigm i don't think we talked about it the last time we spoke uh is histamine okay yeah and so cool. can you introduce us to that concept uh, you know uh, histamine intolerance what's that about yeah it's it's such a an interesting area in the field of nutrition and and food sensitivities and it has a fascinating history and and that is that it has been pretty well established as a as a concept through eastern europe and and russia and you know was 
um, practiced and talked about and researched a lot, but in uh, foreign languages. So it really mm-hmm. didn't start to break into Western medicine until things started getting translated. And then people have picked it up and started studying it. But what it essentially is, is that it appears um, uh, histamine is, a, is a, a substance that can occur in foods and it can provoke a, a kind of allergic type response. In fact, it's something your white blood cells make when you have allergies. It's the mm-hmm. same stuff. And it appears that some people have um, an intolerance to it in foods. So it's not necessarily the food that's the problem. It's, it's that you're not handling the histamine very well. Mm-hmm. And it appears to be a combination of um, overexposure, but mm-hmm probably inability to break it down uh, it's, it's your, well. your histamine cup runneth over so to speak it's exactly. like your capacity yeah. uh may be lower than other people to uh uh to withstand a histamine challenge a minor yeah. challenge yeah absolutely and it really is emerging as an important phenomenon, i think and um certainly one worth exploring um the thing with histamine intolerance is the symptoms of are generally fairly characteristic and would push you in that direction of investigation because they do start, you know, tend to mimic allergic type symptoms. So mm-hmm. they, you know, you may get IBS symptoms, but they'll often co-present with a rash or um, allergic type symptoms or, or even or asthma hives, type uh, migraines. Exactly. Uh, right. Sometimes, you know, bodily malaise that doesn't appear to be uh, a classic allergic response. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's um, that's absolutely it. So, you know, in terms of therapeutic options, um, a low histamine diet can be effective, and uh, you can also use histamine metabolizing enzymes as a, as GAO, a supplement, which may have diamine oxidase uh, products. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so there there may be some benefit to those also. In, and in you know, where this paradigm really comes in handy is when people are very confused. They come in and they say, "I mean, I can't tell you. Sometimes I eat a food." And I'm fine. And then, you know, I, I just can't pin it down. My symptoms just keep, it, it's almost like they're allergic to food in, yeah. <laughs> across yeah. the board. And they, they don't, it, I mean, they may say, well, I really have trouble with balsamic vinegar. Okay. That's a classic trigger or aged meats or something. These are classic triggers, but sometimes it's just very uh, elusive. And it's not the typical allergens that we mentioned earlier, you know, the things that people are sensitive to like wheat or dairy. Um, yeah, I've tried to eliminate wheat, dairy, you know, the, the basic things. I still have these weird breakthrough symptoms, and then we can go to the histamine paradigm and figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really good example of, of some of the things you can start to pick out when, when other things aren't working, and histamine is one of those. And another one I'd add to that, actually, is this, which I think is, you know, very preliminary, so it's hard to hang your hat on this one, but um, the sensitivity to nickel. and. Mm. You know, it's it's been known for many years that people can have dermatological reactions to nickel-containing jewelry, mm-hmm. so they have a yeah. kind of sensitivity. Earrings to, and so on, yeah. Exactly. Bracelets. Yeah, right. Um, so a, a very sort of progressive uh, group of gastroenterologists in Italy, they are, a, you know, one of the world's leading research groups as well. They're not a, you know, an alternative bunch. And mm-hmm. um, they decided to put two and two together and said, well, it you know, we also know that people who have a, you know, allergy to, um, nickel jewelry, they sometimes get IBS like symptoms. So mm. could nickel in food be contributing to IBS? So they got a, um, 
an assay of the nickel content of various foods, hmm. devised a low nickel diet. Wow. And then they, yeah, and they got a bunch of people with IBS and did scratch tests for oh. nickel sensitivity. Yep. Subtype them into the ones who were reacting to nickel on the skin, put them on the low nickel diet, and just wow. had a phenomenal clinical response. Well, what what, so, what foods are high nickel? Um, well, it's um, I, I actually don't have the list to hand, but it's, some it's, of the the list is that, somewhere. Yeah, Google it. It is. Yeah, and it's um, one of the interesting things is that there are a lot of common foods that people wouldn't mm-hmm. otherwise associate. Mm-hmm with causing IBS. Oats is one of them. Mm. Chocolate is another. Oh, I would be in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) And that's like my diet right there. And, and, um, and certainly, um, certain nuts as well. And, and that, you know, what made me think of it is your comment is that when you, you're not exactly sure what's going on and it feels like they're just reacting to foods with no particular reason. Nickel is, is something to look out for. Right. But, you know, more generally, uh, aren't there a lot of uh, ingredients in ultra processed foods that can be problematic? I mean, just to, you know, keeping it simple, uh, people should, you know, get off ultra processed foods, you know, the the emulsifiers, the preservatives, the colorings, uh, all these uh, chemicals and possibly even glyphosate and pesticide residues. uh, These are things that can uh, have uh, a harmful effect on the gut. Yeah, that that right there is the elephant in the room. You know, we've been talking about very specific, sometimes very restrictive diets. It's crazy to me that no one in the IBS researchers is talking about what you just said. It's happening a bit in the inflammatory bowel disease area. We know now that ultra-processed foods and additives and pesticides and all that stuff we're exposed to in the diet is a is a really significant factor. So why are we not talking about this with IBS? So it's, you know, bringing it back to just cleaning up the diet, reducing exposure to processed foods, additives, chemicals, going more organic where possible, I think would have a huge effect. But it's something so blindingly simple, but it's just being overlooked. Yeah, rather than looking for esoteric uh, solutions. All right, right. Well, look, we've covered a lot of ground. There's a, there's a lot of uh, information uh, out there. Uh, can uh, our listeners access uh, any of your articles? I mean, certainly the, your book, The Digestive Health Solution, I think there's a second edition. It's been revised since you originally put it out a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's now in a second edition, so readers can look that up. And um, in terms of research, there's a, a paper um, which was published in July this year in the journal Gastrointestinal Disorders uh, titled Does Irritable Bowel Syndrome Exist? identifiable and treatable causes of associated symptoms suggest it may not. So that's worth looking up to. That's open access. So it's um, and, and it's, to clarify, you're just there. you're saying that it's the point that that's kind of a clickbait title in a way because it's it is. Like, <laughs> it's like you're you're asking this question is and the I think the underlying point is is it one monolithic condition or is it just a series of subtypes of conditions each of which is amenable to a unique strategy rather than some overarching you know okay take antispasmodics take antidepressants you know the way we handle it now right and you know this it's a a great article it's a and for our you know our wonkier listeners who want to do a deeper dive uh look that one up where can they find it yeah so that's um in gastrointestinal disorders if you just um 
punch in that term, it'll it'll come up, and it's also available on PubMed and Medline for the nerdy people who are listening. Right. So it's um, yeah, but it's exactly exactly as you put. Like we need to start thinking integratively. You know, it's lazy to just subgroup people into a name for a disease and start treating them symptomatically, as we've just discussed. There are lots of identifiable and manageable causes um, that could explain why people have symptoms. Well, great stuff. And, you know, congratulations on uh, a really um, uh, wonderful career uh, with a focus on not just on irritable bowel syndrome, but, you know, its relationship and, you know, to a wide variety of uh, bodily uh, problems, uh, fibromyalgia syndrome and, you know, on and on it goes, uh, because uh, the gut uh, is really central to our health and uh, optimizing its function can yield a lot of benefits and a lot of related areas yeah well thank you it's you know i'm a great admirer of your work and you know you're um getting this message out there that uh you know better quality healthcare is the way forward and you know it's a real honor to be able to speak with you about this well it's, it's my great pleasure and uh, we'll reprise this uh, sometime soon dr benjamin brown thanks for joining us thank you and good night to uh you folks in the uk because <laughs> it's late by you right it is yes it's about six hours later okay thanks for joining us yeah it's a pleasure thank you it was it was really great i'm dr ronald hoffman and this is the intelligent medicine podcast as an intelligent medicine listener you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine safe and effective but vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle that's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site, it's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.